Welcome to NTD Evening News. Our top story tonight, a show of unity. Several once rivals to former President Trump will now campaign with him right before the New Hampshire primary. New polls on Trump versus Nikki Haley and Trump's take on a potential job for Governor Ron DeSantis. Iris Tao in New Hampshire. What does Nikki Haley's campaign look like in New Hampshire? We have on the ground reporting on her efforts in the final 24 hours before the polls open. Chris Spears on the ground. Biden campaigns on the issue of abortion as a fake robocall imitates his voice. Find out what it told voters in New Hampshire to do. Arlene Richards has the update. A week-long strike, thousands of faculty from the largest public university system in the U.S. have walked off the job. What is their union demanding? And a major development regarding the dispute between Texas and the Biden administration. Plus, billions of dollars for migrants allegedly displaced by climate change. Arian Pazdar has the story. This is NTD Evening News. Live from our NTD Global Headquarters in New York City, here is Tiffany Meyer. Good evening and thank you for joining us tonight. In the final sprint to tomorrow's New Hampshire primary, President Trump will tout support from his former rivals. New polls showing him maintaining a double-digit lead over Nikki Haley. Good evening to you, Iris. What is happening there tonight and how is the race looking just a day before the first in the nation primary? Good evening to you, Tiff. As you can see, actually, people are lining up here right behind me for a 9 p.m. Eastern time in Trump rally here in Laconia, New Hampshire. This will be his final rally before voters go out to vote tomorrow in the New Hampshire primary. And he's expected to join to be joined tonight by several of his, of his former rivals in the 2020-2024 race, including Vivek Ramaswamy, Senator Tim Scott, and Governor Doug Burgum, who have all dropped out and went on to endorse Trump. And in addition to that, his campaign told us that the goal was to show unity within the GOP and also to better defeat Joe Biden in a general election. We also just talked to a few Trump supporters outside who've been waiting, honestly, for some five hours since noon today for this event. We we'll asked them about how unified they think the GOP is. Watch. I think it's getting more unified, and the, the more months that pass by, the more and more unified we'll all become. It's getting better because they're all joining behind Trump. Do you expect their margin tomorrow to be as big as back in Iowa, or do you think it's going to be a tighter race between the two? It's hard to say because they can cheat with the numbers doing it this way versus the way Iowa does it. It also depends on how many independents are there so that they can vote for Nikki and take away from Donald. Unlike in Iowa, independent and undeclared voters here can actually vote in this state's GOP primary, although Trump does not seem to be actually concerned with that new polling. Actually, three polls released today shows that Trump is maintaining his lead over Nikki Haley, leading her by some 17 to 19 to 27 percentage points, which has been consistent with polls earlier. And Trump has also been touting support he's been getting from South Carolina Republican leaders, including, of course, Senator Tim Scott. And just today, 
Congressman Nancy Mays also went on to endorse Trump, and that's a snub to Nikki Haley. But it's unclear actually whether Governor Ron DeSantis will be joining Trump like the others are doing for his campaign right here in New Hampshire, especially amid the heated back and forth between the two of them in the past few months. And actually, in a Fox interview aired today, Trump said that it's highly unlikely that he's going to peg Ron DeSantis as his potential VP and peg or a potential cabinet member position. Watch. It's probably unlikely, but, you know, I have to be honest, is everything's a possibility, but I think it's highly unlikely. I have a lot of great people, and I have great people that have been with me right from the beginning. Still wondering why this Trump rally is unusually late at 9 p.m. Eastern time today. That's because Trump was supposed to be sitting in a courtroom in New York for a defamation trial involving a former columnist Eugene Carroll today. But that trial proceeding was postponed to Wednesday after uh, the judge expressed concerns about COVID, especially among uh, Trump's lawyers and also some of the jurors. So that's going to happen on Wednesday, a day after New Hampshire primary, and hopefully. Of course, nothing happens, and everything will be able to go smooth as we're supposed to. Back to you. Iris, thank you for that update. Nikki Haley is going one-on-one -on -one with former President Trump in New Hampshire. She is expected to draw liberal voters registered as independents. NTD's Chris Spears has an on-the-ground look at her campaign. Hi, Tiff. We're here in Concord, New Hampshire, the capital of the Granite State, where the first in the nation primary is set to begin tomorrow. Nikki Haley has been busy here. She had about five campaign stops today. We were at a campaign stop in the Veterans of Foreign Wars over in Franklin, New Hampshire. Uh, she's been campaigning with New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu. Here's what she had to say about her campaign so far. We do have a country to save. But guess what? You get to start saving her tomorrow. So if you like what I have to say, go tell 10 people, get them to the polls, tell them that this is the moment that we start to get things right on track. Now, this is a candidate who is polling at about 2% when there are 14 people in the playing field. With four candidates in Iowa, she was at about 19%. Now it's just her and Donald Trump, and she's polling in the high 30s. The interesting thing about New Hampshire is that about 40% of the people here 40% uh, of the registered voters are independent, and independent voters can vote in either the Republican or the Democratic primaries. Many of them are expected to vote for Haley, so it should be pretty interesting tomorrow. We spoke with some people at the Haley campaign event earlier today. Let's hear what they had to say. She's smart. She seems to have some common sense. She's certainly a, a vast improvement over Donald Trump. We're, we're poised at the edge of World War III, in my opinion. There's a, there's a, we need people who can think seriously about uh, their responsibilities as president. Baby boomers need to step back, and <laughs> we need some new blood. And Haley, to me, seems the most uh, electable from our standpoint. Okay, and what issues are most important to you this election cycle? Well, I just retired, so Social Security and VA. Financial responsibility, certainly. I think the federal government has lost that long time. Foreign policy is very important. Immigration, my second most important, and third is the economy. To be quite honest, um, it's less about agenda, an agenda of certain issues and more about making sure that we've got leaders who can move us forward.
And what's next in this race? Voting will open at midnight in towns that have less than 100 people. That voting should be concluding pretty early because there's less than 100 people in those places. We should have some early vote count in in the morning at around 7 or 8, 8 a.m. when the regular polls start at most municipalities. Uh, that voting will end around 7 or 8 p.m. Back to you, Tiff. And make sure you don't miss our special coverage of the New Hampshire primary coming up tomorrow night. Join NTD's Steve Lance and myself for another exciting election night on The Nation Decides 2024. Exclusive on the ground access and special guests. Watch the action live tomorrow, January 23rd at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. The White House announcing new steps intended to ensure access to contraception and abortion. The announcement today comes as Vice President Kamala Harris visits Battlegrounds State Wisconsin with a message on abortion. NTD's Arlene Richards has more details. Today we get some good news. President Biden commemorated the anniversary of Roe v. Wade by announcing expanded protections for women seeking an abortion. The White House announced on Monday new steps to ensure access to contraception and abortion. First, expanding access to contraception through several measures, including access to no-cost contraceptives under the Affordable Care Act and similar access to federal employees. Also, there are plans in the works to send letters to health care providers instructing them to provide no-cost contraception. For easier access to abortion, the plan calls for hospitals to provide emergency abortions nationwide. This includes the 21 states that have placed restrictions on abortions. The announcement comes as President Biden launches a new campaign video to distinguish himself from Republicans on the issue of abortion. In the video, he blames former President Trump for overturning Roe v. Wade. Meanwhile, his vice president touted greater access to abortion during a visit to Wisconsin. Kamala Harris traveled to the battleground state Monday to blast efforts by the Republican-controlled legislature to place a 14-week ban on abortions. Democrats in the state have called the decision harmful to women. Harris's visit is part of a nationwide tour. For the past 18 months, Harris has solidified her abortion message. She's warning voters that Republican overreach into American lives will intensify if they're not stopped at the ballot box. On the tour, she is expected to highlight the stories of women who have been harmed by abortion restrictions. Meanwhile, a fake phone call in New Hampshire with President Biden's voice. The call apparently encouraged Biden's supporters not to vote in Tuesday's presidential primary and to save their votes for the November election. Biden's name actually doesn't appear on Tuesday's ballot because the Democratic National Committee changed the rules to make the first Democratic primary in South Carolina on February 3rd. New Hampshire refused to change its primary date, which is determined by law. Some Democrats launched an effort to write Biden's name on the New Hampshire ballot. The Biden campaign says it's not involved in the effort. Arlene Richards, NTD News. The New Hampshire Attorney General's office is investigating the fake robocall impersonating Biden. They say the robocall appears to be an unlawful attempt at voter suppression and that the message appears to be artificially generated. Meanwhile, OpenAI removed a bot that impersonates Democratic presidential candidate Dean Phillips. The bot was powered by ChatGPT. Silicon Valley entrepreneurs Matt Krisiloff and Jed Summers are behind it. OpenAI says the bot violated company policy on political campaigning and impersonation. 
The United Nations claims climate change is displacing people from their homes. The agency is now seeking almost $3 billion to work on climate change displacement. NTD's Arian Pazdar has more on that and other immigration updates. The United Nations International Office of Migration, or IOM, is launching its first ever global appeal. The organization seeks almost $8 billion to help migrants on the move and to implement easier pathways to immigration. If we get this funding, IOM can be more strategic and proactive. We can anticipate problems before they occur and become even more costly. The agency's homepage states that of the $8 billion, almost $3 billion would be allocated to reduce the risks and impacts of climate change. According to the UN Refugee Agency, 84% of immigrants and refugees in 2022 fled from countries at high risk due to the climate. That's up from 61% in 2010. The agency hopes that the almost $8 billion will come from individual and private sector donors as well as governments. Also on Monday, a major development in the dispute between Texas and the Biden administration. The U.S. Supreme Court now says that Border Patrol is allowed to remove razor wire deployed by Texas. This comes after the Lone Star State started taking matters into its own hands. Just last week, state authorities started arresting illegal immigrants and charging them with criminal trespass. Meanwhile, Texas state officials are seen talking with migrants, standing on the other side of the fence. They're instructing them to head to official ports of entry. And lastly, Senate leaders say they're on track to finalize a deal for border funding this week. Democratic Senator Chris Coons on Sunday appealed to Republicans to accept the deal. And if House Republicans refuse to take it up, to consider it and pass it, then they will own responsibility for another year in which millions of people um, suffer the journey of coming to our southern border uh, only to be either turned away or ultimately deported. The funding would be part of President Biden's supplemental aid package, which also includes money for Ukraine and Israel. Arian Pastar, NTD News. Faculty members at the largest public university system in the U.S. are holding a week-long strike to demand higher wages. California State University's 23 campuses could see classes getting canceled. The California Faculty Association, the union representing CSU faculty, said that thousands of professors, librarians, coaches and other workers walked off the job today. This comes two weeks after university officials ended contract negotiations with an offer of a 5% pay raise this year starting January 31st. The union had asked for 12%. The union says CSU has $766 million in emergency reserves and can afford the salary increases. But the university said the reserves are meant for times of economic uncertainty or emergencies, including wildfires and earthquakes. The youngest son of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. has died. He was 62. Dexter Stock King died in his sleep at his home in Malibu, California on Monday following a battle with prostate cancer. King's wife, Leah Weber King, said of his battle with the disease, he faced every hurdle with bravery and might. His brother, Martin Luther King Jr. III, issued a statement saying, quote, the sudden shock is devastating. King was a graduate of Morehouse College, his father's alma mater. He worked as chairman of the King Center and president of the King Estate. Dexter Scott King did not have children. 
Coming up, how will independents vote in the New Hampshire primary? Our guest doesn't expect Governor Ron DeSantis' exit to have a big impact. Israel Defense Forces are now focused on fighting Hamas terrorists in the southern Gaza Strip. One doctor describes conditions at his hospital since the IDF expanded their operations. Jason Perry reports. And for the first time ever, energy giant ExxonMobil is suing climate activist shareholders. How could their proposals impact Exxon's business? We'll have details after the break. Welcome back. How will Governor DeSantis supporters vote in the New Hampshire primary tomorrow? And how will independents vote? Joining us now to discuss the primary in the Granite State, we have Amber Duke, Washington editor for The Spectator. Amber Duke, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Now, New Hampshire is down to two Republicans fighting for the ballot, Trump and Nikki Haley. This is after, of course, Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis dropping out and endorsing Trump. Now, how do you see DeSantis leaving impacting this race? Is it a shoo-in for Trump or is it actually a tighter race? I actually think that the DeSantis voters will either split down the middle or maybe even into thirds where you see about a third go to Nikki Haley, a third go to Trump, and then maybe a third are disaffected and decide not to participate. But I don't think it actually makes a huge impact on the race at this point. Of course, DeSantis was not polling great in New Hampshire as it was, which of course influenced his decision to drop out. So we're still going to see heading into tomorrow that uh, Nikki Haley and Donald Trump are somewhere between 10 to 20 points apart based on most of the polling. Mm. And now Trump has been coming out with a softer, more unifying tone. We saw this especially in the Iowa caucus and after DeSantis dropped out. How are we going to see that playing out in terms of the Republican voters, given the block of never Trumpers? Right. I mean, it's definitely a, a strategic approach, especially when it comes to here in New Hampshire. There are a lot of independent voters. And of course, this is an open primary. So independents and Democrats can vote in this Republican contest. Um, of course, Donald Trump as well at a rally this evening is supposed to have support from South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, as well as former presidential candidate and Governor Doug Burgum, who are both sort of in that more moderate Republican lane, have struck that softer tone. So that is a, a, another indication that Trump is definitely trying to court those voters that lean a little bit more to the middle. On the note of independent voters, you're actually on the ground in Manchester, New Hampshire right now, braving the elements there. How do you see independents voting, especially given the change by the DNC rules? Well, that's a great question, because right now we see that Dean Phillips on the Democratic side is doing some really heavy campaigning here in Manchester. We actually just saw him walk by our lunch spot a few minutes ago. Um, he has the Dean team out here, as they're called, and a surrogate Andrew Yang, who was out hitting the bar scene last night um, with, with the campaign. And so they're hoping that Dean can actually get somewhere between 30 and 35 percent of the Democratic vote, which, although it would not give him any delegates because the Democrats, the DNC, have officially changed the primary process, New Hampshire state law still requires them to go first. Um, but that would send a message to the Democratic Party that Dean Phillips is perhaps someone that shouldn't be brushed, that he is a serious candidate. 
On that note, one of President Biden's few challengers, Miriam Williamson, is calling this change by the DNC that it will disenfranchise Democratic voters. How do you see that playing out in terms of the Democratic Party? Sure. I mean, we spoke to someone last night, uh, a bartender who has worked in uh, New Hampshire through several um, primaries, and he pointed out that he, he doesn't buy the Democrats' reasoning for moving their first primary state to South Carolina because of its higher level of diversity. He says uh, New Hampshire is a very diverse state, maybe not ethnically, but in a lot of other different ways. And it's also very representative of the general American electorate because of the high level of independent voters here. So I think Marianne Williamson is right to point that out. And the Democrats are going to have to continue to explain this decision, especially since there's been some whispers that this was only done not because of any claim about diversity, but because Joe Biden doesn't want to be embarrassed in the first primary contest. Of course, he's not even on the ballot here. He is mounting a write-in campaign. Uh, there are some radio ads running today encouraging people to write in Joe Biden, but not against Dean Phillips or Marianne Williamson. They're not even mentioning his challengers. They're saying that people should go in and write Joe Biden today as a challenge to Donald Trump. Fascinating. Well, Amber Duke, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. The Israel Defense Forces are increasing pressure on Hamas terrorists in the southern Gaza Strip, but the military operations appear to be challenging as the IDF accuses Hamas of using civilians as human shields. NTD's Jason Perry has the latest on the war and a warning this report contains footage that some viewers may find disturbing. Hospital staff in the southern Gaza Strip appeared to be overwhelmed by the rush of patients as Israel Defense Forces continue to fight Hamas terrorists in Khan Yunus, Gaza's second largest city. This doctor said Nasser Hospital in Khan Yunus is on the brink of collapse. Since yesterday night, with the expansion of Israeli ground operations in Khan Yunus, we received many, many injuries, a lot of them. There is no space for them. I work in the intensive care unit, and there are only four beds there. I was treating 10 or 11 injuries. Israel Defense Forces find themselves in quite a predicament as they try to defeat the Hamas terrorist group, as explained by this commanding officer in the IDF. For every passing day, we learn once again that our enemy exploits and uses the civilian population for its own needs. There's not a residential area without a tunnel shaft, not a school without weapons, and not a mosque without a portrait of a terrorist or murderer. On Sunday, the IDF reported finding a tunnel in Khan Yunus in which they say approximately 20 hostages were held. But unfortunately, no hostages were rescued. And adding more pressure to the hostage situation, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Sunday said he rejected Hamas's permanent ceasefire demand to release the hostages. And the very next day on Monday, relatives of the approximately 100 hostages who remain in captivity stormed the Israeli parliament. Yesterday, the prime minister comes up and says there won't be a deal. On whose authority will there not be a deal? What right does he have not to negotiate a deal? One of the members of parliament said they would do everything they could to bring the hostages home. 
Meanwhile, across Israel's other borders, according to Iranian state-run media, Israeli forces struck targets in Syria, killing four members of Iran's Revolutionary Guard, which the U.S. considers a terrorist group. Also over the weekend, Israeli forces reportedly struck a vehicle in a town in Lebanon, killing a member of the Iran-backed Hezbollah terrorist group. The Israeli military did not comment on this particular strike, but said it had struck Hezbollah targets in several locations in Lebanon on Sunday. Jason Perry, NTD News. Two U.S. Navy SEALs who went missing at sea off the coast of Somalia earlier this month are now presumed dead. U.S. Central Command announced Sunday the service members had not been located during a 10-day search and rescue operation. The SEALs disappeared January 11th while attempting to board a ship to search for Iranian weapons. During the mission, one SEAL fell into the water due to eight-foot swells. The second SEAL dove in to help. A human rights abuse on an unprecedented scale. The United Nations will hold its universal periodic review for Communist China in Geneva, Switzerland tomorrow. The review is an examination of human rights records that all UN member states have to undergo every four to five years. A conference today highlighted the issue. Let's take a look. The evidence is overwhelming that this gravest and most despicable of human rights violations has occurred in China on a large scale in the past, and the evidence is that it continues to this day. The meeting highlighted the Chinese communist regime's practice of forcibly extracting organs from prisoners of conscience and selling them for profit. Experts testifying at the hearing included human rights lawyers, professors, and medical professionals. It has been established beyond doubt that the Chinese Communist Party sanctions the murder of prisoners of conscience in order to harvest and sell their organs. The principal victims of this evil practice are Falun Gong practitioners that follow the Buddhist school practice of Qiong and Uyghurs. The evidence for this dates back nearly years, and nearly 20 years. Harold King is the deputy director at Doctors Against Forced Organ Harvesting. He presented data showing that in China, the number of transplant centers grew from 150 to more than 600 between 1999 and 2006. The number of annual organ transplants grew by 250 percent around the same time. China did not have a voluntary donation system in place during that time period. And the other factor that's really specific um, to this case, the forced organ harvesting, is that waiting patients from around the world only had 15 days to one month waiting time. Um, and again, this is in great contrast with what happens in Europe or America or other countries where it can be months or even uh, several years. Falun Gong practitioners are believed to be a major source of organs. Also known as Falun Dafa, it's a spiritual meditation practice based on the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance. It grew enormously popular in China in the 1990s. In 1999, the Chinese regime unleashed a brutal campaign to eliminate the practice. Millions of Falun Gong practitioners were harassed and imprisoned. At least thousands were tortured to death. We call on the United Nations members states to courageously question China's human rights record during the Universal Periodic Review. 
We propose the creation of a special rapporteur on forced organ harvesting of living prisoners of conscience in the People's Republic of China. And we call for the establishment of an international criminal tribunal for forced organ harvesting in China. The panel said that the silence and inaction of the international community has emboldened the Chinese state to commit more human rights abuses globally. Tuesday's session of the UN Universal Periodic Review will focus on human rights issues in China. They include the crackdown in Xinjiang, Tibet, Hong Kong, and civil society. For the first time ever, energy giant ExxonMobil is fighting back against green investors in the courtroom. It's suing two shareholders, saying their climate-related demands could drive it out of business. NTD's Dave Martin has more. ExxonMobil is suing activist investors. It wants to block investment firms Arjuna Capital and follow this from putting forward their shareholder proposal which would force the company to significantly reduce its carbon emissions and even target its customers' emissions. It says this would, quote, force ExxonMobil to change the nature of its ordinary business or to go out of business entirely. It says Arjuna Capital and Follow This own stock in the company solely for the purpose of eliminating oil and gas investments necessary to meet society's needs. ExxonMobil has been dueling with activist investors for many years. These investors want the energy giant to wind down its oil and gas business and to invest in renewable energy. Arjuna Capital says that environmental responsibility and social justice are all bottom line concerns. Follow This says green shareholders change the world and says it unites responsible shareholders to push big oil to go green. If the proposal were to win approval, Exxon would still not be legally required to comply with it, but it would exert pressure on Exxon to address the issues raised in the proposal. This is Dave Martin for NTD News. Coming up, is it risky for President Biden not to be on the ballot in New Hampshire? Our guest says he's still got a commanding lead. Thousands brave the California rain to make their voices heard. More on this year's annual Walk for Life West Coast Rally. The first ever closure of an In-N-Out restaurant. Find out why one California location is shutting down after more than 18 years after the break. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. Dexter Scott King, the youngest son of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., has died. He was 62 years old and suffered from prostate cancer. The Supreme Court ruled that the Biden administration can remove razor wire at the southern border. Texas installed the wire to stem the flow of illegal immigrants. Faculty members at the California State University system started a week-long strike to demand higher wages. This could lead to classes getting canceled at the system's 23 campuses. Former President Trump will hold his final rally before the New Hampshire primary with support from his former rivals. Meanwhile, Nikki Haley is pushing back against calls to drop out of the race. The White House announced new steps intended to ensure access to contraception and abortion. Vice President Kamala Harris visited Battleground State, Wisconsin, and argued for greater abortion access. 
President Biden's name will not be on the ballot in the New Hampshire Democratic primary tomorrow. How will this impact his campaign going forward? Next to discuss Biden's campaign, we have Robin Biro. He's a former Obama regional campaign director and a Democratic strategist. Robin Biro, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be on the show. It's great to be with you. Thank you. Now, there's a lot of buzz around the Republican aspect of the New Hampshire primary, but what about on the Democratic angle? Due to the DNC change in its rules, President Biden's name won't be on the ballot unless you write it in. Where does that leave the Democrats? It's tricky. And look, we really do honestly have to go in there and write in the names. Uh, so that's just that's just the way it is. Sometimes that's the, the breaks you've got. And the reason for that is because South Carolina um, up the ante and claimed their spot further up on the ballot, so uh, on the primary schedule. So there you go. That's why we're having it. Uh, and it's going to be a challenge. And will President Biden's name not being on the ballot unless as a write-in actually hurt him? Not in this primary. Uh, it would anywhere else. Uh, but in New Hampshire, he's good. Uh, I'm more intrigued to see what's going to happen with Nikki Haley tomorrow night. And on that note, in this primary, independents can vote. But given that the Democrats have this rule change, are independents going to be voting more on the Republican side, or what can we expect there? It's going to be basically 50-50. And look, what, what fascinates me about Nikki Haley's supporters in New Hampshire is that 50% said that if she's not the nominee, they will vote for Joe Biden. Uh, that is an anomaly not seen in any other state. Uh, so that's going to be very telling. I'll tell you, as a Democrat, we're hoping that Nikki Haley actually does really well for that reason. And on that aspect from the Democratic angle, given that Ron DeSantis, Florida's governor, has dropped out, how do you see that impacting the race tomorrow between Trump and Nikki Haley on the Republican side? Of course, we all know that he endorsed Donald Trump, uh, but his supporters have minds of their own. And uh, most of them, of course, will break for former President Trump. Uh, but I do expect some peel off because people are kind of tired of the craziness from, from the prior Trump administration. And there are plenty of people out there, sensible, moderate Republicans, who are looking at the, the indictments uh, with question. I want to zoom in on the DNC rule change. So Marianne Williamson, she's one of President Biden's few challengers. She is saying that the fact that the DNC moved their first primary to now South Carolina will, quote, disenfranchise Democratic voters in New Hampshire. Is that a fair argument from her? Anything is fair when it comes to Marianne Williamson because her objective is to sell books. And look, I respect the hustle, uh, but I'll tell you that I was on her most recent live stream and I was the 54th person. There were never more than that in her live stream. So I don't take her candidacy that seriously, seriously, not as I, not as much as I did the last go round. And you mentioned how this would hurt President Biden and any other primary, but not New Hampshire this time. Expand on that for us. He's got a commanding lead. They've peeled off any possible. Look, I'll be honest with you. You know, I think competition is what makes us great as, as Americans. I would have preferred for this to have been an open primary for his seat uh, because I think that would have improved his chances. It would have gotten him more exposure. It would have put to rest some of the rumors that he uh, is a feeble mind or some, something like that. But, uh, you know, we're stuck with this. We're going to make the most of it. And I think he's going to come out just fine. I expect Marianne Williamson will be dropping out not long after this. Robin Byro, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And we'll welcome Robin Byro and other special guests back tomorrow night for our live coverage of the primary. 
Join NTD's Steve Lance and myself for another exciting election night on The Nation Decides 2024. Watch the action live tomorrow, January 23rd at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming from humble beginnings, Walk for Life West Coast has grown to be one of the largest pro-life events in the nation. San Francisco hosted thousands at the annual gathering over the weekend. NTD's Jason Blair reports. The Walk for Life West Coast held its annual event in San Francisco on Saturday. Despite the rain, thousands came out to make their voices heard. We're from all over California supporting pro-life. A large crowd rallied in front of City Hall before the walk. The future belongs to children and the future belongs to families, raising those children. One third of our generation has been killed by abortion. These are our brothers, our sisters, our aunts, our uncles, our neighbors. I just wanted to represent my school and uh, get some more knowledge and like hands-on experience out here. Dozens of counter-protesters gathered across the street in a separate area. They made their message heard with signs, chants, and a small marching band. There was a heavy police presence and things remained civil between the two groups with nothing escalating. San Francisco is a largely pro-choice city. Despite that, it's been the host of what's now the West Coast's largest pro-life event for 20 years now. San Francisco is a great city. So it's important for people to realize that there's a lot of people inside the city who are pro-life. The group marched downtown, ending at the city's Embarcadero Plaza. Jason Blair, NTD News, San Francisco. In-N-Out Burger has announced they're closing down their only location in Oakland, California. The reason is due not to a decrease in sales, but an increase in crime. In a statement on Sunday, In-N-Out said it has decided to close its first location in Oakland near the airport due to rampant crime. The company's COO said, despite taking repeated steps to create safer conditions, our customers and associates are regularly victimized by car break-ins, property damage, theft, and armed robberies. The location will remain open until March 24th. Employees are given the choice to transfer to a nearby In-N-Out location or receive a severance package. The Oakland location has been around for over 18 years. The location has been a busy and profitable one, but the company's priority is the safety of their customers and employees. I'm well formed about In-N-Out Burger because that's a very profitable location, but the crime is just impossible for them to survive over there because the city has really taken a hands-off approach to crime and public safety. So there's no way for a lot of businesses to survive in Oakland right now. In a previous interview with NTD, Chris Moore, a candidate running for Alameda County Supervisor, said increasing crime is hurting small businesses. People are afraid to live in Oakland. There's businesses, 6,000 businesses stopped paying business tax last year. That means 6,000 businesses closed, right? Um, so every small business that's primarily impacting the black and brown and immigrant communities, uh, they are hurt the most. They're losing their jobs, they're losing their cars, being stolen. City leaders have been blamed for the failed policies that led to the uptick in crime. They really went crazy about this whole defund the police and don't have police, but the majority of residents in Oakland, they pay taxes as business owners. We demand our taxes be used for public safety. Oakland auto theft has increased 44% in 2023 compared to 2022. 
The Shell gas station near the airport has gone viral for being a regular target for thieves. Car rental companies at the airport warn visitors to watch your belongings when getting gas there. Coming up, winter temperatures are thawing out, but the melting snow is bringing its own host of difficulties. Find out what to expect around the nation. And in the NFL, why the phrase wide right two was trending on X after Buffalo's loss last night. Dave Martin joins us to explain after the break. Welcome back. Here's some good news in weather. It's getting warmer. But the bad news is changing temperatures are bringing a different kind of severe weather this week. Today, the central plains are getting sleet and ice storms. Now, people from the southern plains to the Great Lakes could see accumulating ice and freezing rain through tonight. So far this month, winter storms have claimed at least 82 lives around the U.S. Tennessee, Mississippi and Oregon were hit the worst. The severe weather isn't over yet, but it will be changing. Soon areas across the eastern U.S. could be almost 30 degrees warmer than last week. And areas farther south will also likely see warmer temperatures. But forecasters are predicting heavy rains and a risk of flooding. And now for your sports news, we're joined by NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, another big weekend of NFL playoffs, leaving with just four teams left now. Do you have a favorite among them? You know, I sort of have one. You know, going into Saturday, I thought San Francisco was really the best. But I thought they were actually pretty fortunate to beat Green Bay. You know, Brock Purdy, who could win MVP, he missed on several throws that really could have been intercepted, should have been. But he was fortunate they weren't. I mean, they only won by three points. One interception really could have doomed them. Now, Baltimore and Detroit, they both had good wins. They're considered somewhat wild cards, though, because they haven't been to this round in the playoffs in a while, so no one's really sure what to expect of them. I mean, Detroit, I mean, they haven't been this far in 30 years, and they've never made a Super Bowl. Meanwhile, the Chiefs, they had the most exciting win. I mean, that was another great back-and-forth contest between them and the Bills. I'm still not as high on the Chiefs just because of their receivers, so I, I'm going to stick with the Niners. And on the note of the Chiefs after that win, Wide Right 2 was trending on X or formerly Twitter. What is the significance of that? Yeah, I mean, that's in reference to Buffalo losing the same way in another critical playoff game. You know, last night they missed a crucial game-tying 44-yard field goal wide right with less than two minutes left. And that's pretty much ended the game there. Even more famously, they lost Super Bowl 25. I mean, this is like 30 years ago, when they missed what would have been a game-winning 47-yard field goal with like eight seconds left. That was the original wide right. Now, 47 yards for an NFL kicker is considered makeable, so it's kind of considered the beginning of their bad run in the postseason. I mean, they would go on to lose four straight Super Bowls, and that, one, that game was really their best shot. Now, they've had a very good team the past four years. Unfortunately for them, the Chiefs have now ended their season three of those years. To me, as long as they have Josh Allen in the quarterback, they'll still remain contenders, though. On now shifting gears to tennis, the Australian Open is down to eight left with both Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz remaining. Do you see those two meeting again for the title? 
Yeah, I mean, I think most do. They've really been flip-flopping one and two in the rankings for more than a year now. And they've had some very memorable matches. You know, they've, they've yet to meet here, though. And Alcarez, he's really never made it this far in this tournament. Of course, he's only 20 years old. But it's safe to say that in the absence of Rafael Nadal, Alcarez has definitely become Djokovic's biggest rival. Should Djokovic win out here, most think he will. This would be Grand Slam win number 25. With Nadal sidelined and contemplating retirement, it's looking more and more like no one's going to catch Djokovic's mark for a long time. I mean, Nadal is at 22, but I don't have any, know how many opportunities he's going to have left. In any case, both players play tonight. Should they meet, it would only be in the finals, so we'll have to see about that. Well, Dave, as always, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tiff. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.